One of the first Superman comics I remember reading is Action Comics issue number 554. This was a story about a world where history changes and Superman, and no other superhero for that matter, has ever existed. This world suddenly finds itself under attack by alien invaders, and two boys named Jerry and Joey begin to imagine a hero who could turn the tide of the battle. A hero they named Superman, and their belief in their hero conjured him into existence and he saved the world from these insidious invaders. And all the other superheroes came back too. I read this story when I was, I think, six or seven, and it was amazing at the time. And I read it again a few years ago when it was reprinted in an anniversary edition of uh, celebrating Superman's 80th anniversary. And while it wasn't one that I would list among the greatest Superman stories of all time, I was surprised to see that it had held up pretty well. And I think a big part of what made the story work was its embracing of the imaginative wish fulfillment aspect of the character himself. And this is an aspect of the character that is rooted in his creation story. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two young Jewish men, brought this larger-than-life hero into being as Nazi Germany was throwing the world into chaos. And so Superman has long been a character meant to be a champion of the oppressed and the downtrodden. I mean, that's that's really the heartbeat of the, the historic saying that goes with the character, that he's fighting for truth, justice, and yes, the American way. Um, and so he's been doing this virtually in every medium that he has ever appeared in. So whether it's film, print, television, and even radio. And it's radio where the story of this episode begins. In a graphic novel inspired by a radio serial from the 1940s that focused pointedly and powerfully on the problem of racism. A problem that sadly still lingers. This is Superman Smashes the Clan. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and this is your next favorite book. Back in the 1930s through to a significant portion of the 1950s and even beyond that, before the era of streaming, cable, and broadcast television, radio was at the center of home entertainment. It was what you turned to for music, yes, but also for storytelling. Shows like Amos and Andy, Abbott and Costello, The Adventures of Sam, Sam Spade, and many others were among the most beloved shows of the medium. And in 1940, one of the most important shows ever hit the airwaves, The Adventures of Superman. Starring Bud Collier as the Man of Steel and Joan Alexander as Lois Lane, the series was a massive, massive hit and spawned elements of the character that crossed over into the comic books that readers still know today. Listeners might be surprised to learn that characters like Perry White and Jimmy Olsen didn't make their debuts in the pages of Superman or Action Comics, but they actually found their initial home in the radio long before they were seen in print, as did kryptonite, the all-important element that renders Superman vulnerable. 
And for 11 years and over 2,000 episodes, through cast changes and revivals, the series was arguably the most iconic of its era. And much of that had it to do with its willingness to tackle difficult subject matters in its stories. And one of the most important stories that ever appeared on the series debuted in June 1946, which was the 16-part Clan of the Fiery Cross. Some background on this story in, uh, in full disclosure is brought to you with some research assistance from your friend and mine, doc, Dr. Google and Wikipedia. So back in the 1940s, a human rights activist named Stetson Kennedy infiltrated the Ku Klux Klan, hoping to do his part to take down the organization. He was concerned that the KKK had links to the government and police forces, and so rather than turn any findings that he had into those authorities, he decided to strike through different means. He wanted to use storytelling to reach the public directly. And so he contacted the producers of the Superman radio show and pitched the idea, what if Superman were to go up against the Klan? And the producers, they went for it. The result was this 16-part serial, The Clan of the Fiery Cross. The arc was a massive ratings hit, making The Adventures of Superman the most highly rated family radio program at the time. And the Klan itself called for boycotts against the show's sponsors, but the advertisers stood by the program. So never let it be said that capitalism doesn't have its benefits, kids. The story had the effect Kennedy hoped for driving down recruitment and membership through its portrayal of the KKK's rituals in nature. And while the Klan never, sadly, went away entirely, they never fully recovered, certainly not to their previous heights. So it's more or less a win-win-win for everyone. Well, except for the Klan, but they shouldn't win anything anyway. So, you know, whatever. Fast forward about 73 years or so to around 2019. Jean Lun Kang, the best-selling creator of the graphic novel American Born Chinese, which itself is fantastic and you should really check out. He was working for DC Comics and he decided that this radio serial was worth revisiting. And even though the Klan had largely diminished from influence as a formal organization, its ideology, he noticed, was seeming to resurge. And Yang, who first heard about the serial when he read the 2005 book Freakonomics, thought that its themes just might be relevant still. And so he set to work on a loose adaptation of it, which appeared on the shelves first as a three-part miniseries and later as a graphic novel called Superman Smashes the Clan. Set back in 1946, the time of the original serial, Superman Smashes the Clan follows teenagers Roberta and Tommy Lee, who, along with their parents, moved to Chi from Chinatown to the heart of Metropolis after Dr. Lee, their father, got a job with the Metropolis Health Department. Roberta for her part, she struggled to make friends initially, but Tommy, he made himself he, he made himself a good number of friends pretty quickly. Some of that had to do with, you know, making self-deprecating jokes at his own expense uh, about his, his background and ethnicity. But a big way was by becoming, by joining a baseball team, which was happened to be coached by Jimmy Olsen. And a, 
on the team, he showed that he had an aptitude for pitching and actually became the stars, the star pitcher of the team. And this in particular ticked off another boy on the team, a boy named Chuck Riggs, whose uncle was the Grand Scorpion of the clan of the Fiery Cross. And Chuck's uncle took advantage of Chuck's anger and used it to recruit him into the clan and to take revenge on the Lees. And the Lees, for their part, experienced harassment. In a, uh, Roberta didn't just struggle to fit in with her new classmates, but also felt ostracized from her old community. There was a cross that was burned on their lawn. Tommy was kidnapped by the clan, and more still happened. And where does Superman fit into this? Well, Superman obviously comes to the rescue in the A story and takes down the clan and re helps to rescue Tommy and save the, the Lees and help them to find their fit in Metropolis. But he also leads the B story of this graphic novel because at this point in the narrative, he is still in the able to tall, leap tall buildings in a single bound mode that the character initially started in. He's not quite the, the flying man that we know today. But during this time, he begins to also see visions of aliens who are speaking a strange language, and he's forced to deal with his heritage, that as a powerful visitor from another planet, one who looks like us, but who isn't one of us. We'll be right back. You know, my whole life, I've loved movies, music, and especially books, and chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, you likely feel the same way. I was a voracious reader at every stage of life, but when I became a Christian in my mid-20s, I had to ask, how should my newfound faith relate to my reading? And for that matter, how should it affect every area of my life, my relationships, my work, how I treated people who I might disagree with? And that's on top of learning the, about the habits that would help me grow in my faith, like reading the Bible, prayer, and being part of a Christian community. Learning about what it means to live as a Christian isn't easy, especially if you don't have any familiarity with it at all. That's why I wrote, I'm a Christian, now what? This book is a guide helping new believers walk through some of the big questions that will come up in their early weeks, months, and even years as a Christian. And so it covers everything from what exactly happened to them, what the Bible is, how to pray when it seems weird, and what to look for in a Christian community. But it also addresses how to handle disagreement in a distinctly Christian way, untangling the mess of sex and marriage, and even how to engage with things like music, movies, and yes, books. People who follow Jesus for a long time will also benefit from this book because it will help them to see the opportunities they have to serve new believers like these, new believers like I was, helping them to develop a strong foundation for their life with Christ in meaningful and practical ways. I'm a Christian Now What is available to order now. You can find it anywhere you buy books, including Amazon, Christian Book, Barnes & Noble, or you can order it from your favorite local bookstore. Sometimes people will look at a graphic novel and think that because it's a book that tells stories through a combination of words and pictures, that it's an inappropriate vehicle for addressing complex themes or 
that it should be relegated to only children's literature. But this graphic novel, which is, generally speaking, a fairly all-ages read, handles some extremely complex themes very thoughtfully. For many readers, the A story is going to be the most obvious and powerful aspect of this book. The Lee's story of starting a new life in outside of Chinatown in the rest of Metropolis, of having uh, the life that really is what we consider the American dream, that of a largely average American family, of having uh, a decent house, a good job, a, a stable family life, and the reality that fitting in especially as a visible minority, is not as easy as the dream suggests, is a challenging one for many. That America's aspirational values and its realities don't always line up is a difficult pill to swallow for many, but it's one that we actually do need to face. And I think that this story, particularly this one written by an Asian American himself, does that extremely well without resorting to any kind of heavy-handed moralism. This isn't what you would expect to see if you were watching a mid-90s episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. There is a naturalness, an honesty to the storytelling that is necessary to address these kinds of challenges and to develop compassion for the lead characters and also for its one of its villains, as we'll see in a bit. Now, as an invisible immigrant myself, the Superman B story definitely feels right at home. It hits me where I live. Assimilation into a new culture is a challenge at the best of times, even when you look the part and speak most of the same language and don't have that much of an accent. But having had conversations with people when my status as an immigrant has been revealed, and by the way, this isn't something that I try to hide at all, it's easy to see a shift in people's demeanors. Now, sometimes people will will start assuming things about me, and and often that will be, you know, about about a political thing that either I'm I'm jokingly a political refugee from Soviet Canada. Or I'm, or you know, because I'm from Canada, that I must agree. I must naturally agree with um, X Y position on the political left, or whatever it is. And I always disappoint everybody when I refuse to play partisan politics. Um, but sometimes it gets a little bit weird. And and a lot of that just has to do with ignorance. People don't understand what it means to be an immigrant in the United States. And to the degree that one of my daughters was actually asked if she was, quote, an illegal, end quote, by a schoolmate when she shared that she was a Canadian instead of an American. Um, people just don't know what to do with that here. And so uh, immigrants are very good at showing grace to people in these areas but it also but it but it is always a pointed reminder that we don't come from here but back to the superman story the superman story focused on how he needed to discover and embrace that aspect of who he is his alien heritage in order to become 
the man that the world needed him to be. His hesitation, his resistance was holding back his powers. And I think that aspect of it, one that unlocked his ability to fly, for example, on its own is actually a pretty good one. Now, the problem, of course, is is that one could read it and read into it a schmaltzy, be-who-you-are type of message. But that's not really what it's trying to do. I think it's better to understand it as one that is saying that it's that knowing your history shapes who you will be and who you can be as well. And so embrace those things about yourself. Know who you are to determine who you're going to become. But I think arguably one of the most powerful aspects of this story is actually that of Chuck Riggs, who is the primary antagonist through most of the book. Seeing him wrestling with his own anger and the power that hate has over people, how it can be weaponized to do tremendous evil, that's some, that's some heavy stuff there. And how many times have we seen that play out in recent years as politicians and influencers across the spectrum weaponize fear and anger and hatred? And yet we always see the same thing, that, that giving into those things never satisfies. Anger and hatred always beget more anger and hatred. They don't build to anything better. They only tear down as people bite and devour one another. And so for me, that aspect is an encouragement to check my own heart, not simply against where I'm feeling anger or or hatred or fear or anything like that, but to check it against judgment of others even those I disagree with, people that I see inciting this same spirit of hate. Because there's often something else that's going on underneath the surface. Anger is often a mask for fear. Fear of the unknown, fear of judgment, fear of loss, fear of discomfort. Whatever it is, it's different for, for, most, for everyone because we're all a little bit different from one another. But it's something that when we see it, we shouldn't work to fuel it, to stoke it, and nor should we seek to mock it because that's only going to further exacerbate it. Instead, we should see, we should seek to understand. We should see it for what it is. And we should help people see what's happening in their own hearts to come alongside them and say, hey, why, help me understand this. Why do you feel this way? What, what experiences have you had that have led you to believe this? And that can be a powerful thing. That can change the way that people approach the, the issue. Because very often, people are not changed by a convincing argument in any way. They're changed through a willingness for someone to get uncomfortable with them and to ask them really hard but compassionate questions. To show them compassion even as they are people that we struggle to be compassionate with or demonstrate empathy for or anything like that. 
One of the first Superman comics I remember reading is Action Comics issue number 554. This was a story about a world where history changes and Superman, and no other superhero for that matter, has ever existed. This world suddenly finds itself under attack by alien invaders, and two boys named Jerry and Joey begin to imagine a hero who could turn the tide of the battle. A hero they named Superman, and their belief in their hero conjured him into existence and he saved the world from these insidious invaders. And all the other superheroes came back too. I read this story when I was, I think, six or seven, and it was amazing at the time. And I read it again a few years ago when it was reprinted in an anniversary edition of uh, celebrating Superman's 80th anniversary. And while it wasn't one that I would list among the greatest Superman stories of all time, I was surprised to see that it had held up pretty well. And I think a big part of what made the story work was its embracing of the imaginative wish fulfillment aspect of the character himself. And this is an aspect of the character that is rooted in his creation story. Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, two young Jewish men, brought this larger-than-life hero into being as Nazi Germany was throwing the world into chaos. And so Superman has long been a character meant to be a champion of the oppressed and the downtrodden. I mean, that's that's really the heartbeat of the, the historic saying that goes with the character, that he's fighting for truth, justice, and yes, the American way. Um, and so he's been doing this virtually in every medium that he has ever appeared in. So whether it's film, print, television, and even radio. And it's radio where the story of this episode begins. In a graphic novel inspired by a radio serial from the 1940s that focused pointedly and powerfully on the problem of racism. A problem that sadly still lingers. This is Superman Smashes the Clan. I'm Aaron Armstrong, and this is your next favorite book. Your next favorite book is written, recorded, and produced by me, Aaron Armstrong. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you're subscribed on your preferred podcast platform and leave a five-star rating and review. This goes a long way to helping people find the show. You can also find a link to order a copy of the book featured in today's episode in the show notes. And be sure to check out my book, I'm a Christian, Now What? A Guide to Your New Life with Christ, everywhere books are sold. Thanks for listening, and I'll be back next time to introduce you to what might be your next favorite book.